0: morning, everyone. Do you want to take a wee moment just to turn around to the person beside you and say hello, welcome them, especially if you haven't met them before? Okay, okay, okay. Can't stop you now. Okay. Right. Who can tell me what is? Oh, whoosh, James. That's quite loud. Who can tell me what is wrong with the uh, with the phrase on screen? Yes, it, it should be that the love of money is is the root of all evil. Although that is still not quite right. It should also end differently according to most translations of the Bible. I don't know how it really should end. All kinds to lying, to cheating, to stealing, to exploitation, even to murder, but surely all the evil in the world does not ultimately stem from the love of money. Or does it? If you have a Bible, please. uh, Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, where we find this well-known yet often misquoted expression of the apostle Paul. Incidentally, as you're looking that up, if anyone has been listening to the New Age Sheeran album that was released this week, the song Eraser, the song Eraser includes this lyric, I think that money is the root of all evil and fame is hell, which is an interesting comment from someone who's got lots of both money and fame. Anyway, for anyone who is uh, visiting, this is our third week of Money Talks, a short series looking at what the Bible says about this rather tricky and I I realize very personal subject of money, about our attitude towards it, about how we get money, how we handle money, how we share money, how we give money. Last Sunday, we thought about the heart of the issue And as we reflected on what Jesus taught about this subject in his so-called Sermon on the Mount, we asked and we considered these two questions. Where is your treasure? And where is your focus? Because where these are will strongly influence your priorities, your affection, your devotion, your service. Where your treasure is, said Jesus, is where your heart is. And what fills the eye, to quote that old Irish proverb, fills the heart. And what Jesus specifically warned against is serving two masters. Jesus said in Matthew six twenty four, you cannot serve both God and money. Kingdom people cannot serve both God and money. Paul Tripp in his book, Sex and Money, puts it like this, money is one of God's good creations, but this good thing becomes a bad thing for you when it becomes a ruling thing, and that's the problem. Whenever money begins to control your life, your thinking, your mindset, your behavior, whenever it becomes your master instead of your servant, then your heart's compromised your worship is redirected, and your eternal welfare and destiny is threatened. And so this is a vital issue for us to discuss and to consider as a church, despite the nervousness that most of us feel around this subject. This morning, I want to continue thinking about the danger of loving money using 1 Timothy chapter 6. But I don't just want to highlight the negative implications of a kind of skewed attitude towards money. I'm also keen to recognize and celebrate a better way to live with this God given gift. And as the apostle writes to his young protege, Timothy, he does that. He encourages him listen, Timothy, live differently in relation to money, live differently so that it doesn't captivate your heart and derail you as it has done in the lives of so many other people. So let's stand together for the public reading of God's true and highly relevant word. Let's stand. First Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. It'll be on the screen. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Grab a seat. Can you be a godly person and not be content? And can you be a content person and not be godly? Well, we all might know some people who fit either category, but but Paul speaks into Timothy's life about money and his relationship with it. And he comes off with this phrase. We all know it. it. It's a really helpful, insightful, it's about following Jesus on a daily basis. It's about discipleship. It's, what, it's living life to the full, life as it was meant to be. And Paul wants Timothy to stay on that track. Why? Because it's not just gain, it's great gain. Now, it's not great financial gain, but it's great spiritual gain. But an essential aspect of godliness and godly living is contentment. And when it comes to money or when it comes to finances, this, this is huge, Because the roots of many of our problems around this issue often are found right here. As someone has suggested, discontentment is the soil in which the love of money grows. So here's my question to you this morning. Are you content? Are you content? Are you content with what you've got? Are you satisfied with your situation? Are you at ease here this morning with your circumstances? Contentment has been described as a rare jewel because it's, it's not common. We, we live in a material and a materialistic world which constantly promotes more and excess. Our culture almost seems intent on kind of feeding and fueling feelings of discontentment. And so advertisers play on that. Greed and envy lurk round the edges of it. And so this is hard. It's really hard, which is why contentment is so rare. It's so countercultural. <clears throat> but what exactly is it? Because some of you are sitting there and you think, well, hang on a wee minute. Does this mean that I should just grin and bear an awful situation that I'm in? Does this mean I should be content to suffer in silence? If suffering is where you're at this morning. Does it mean I shouldn't be ambitious? Does it mean I shouldn't want to better myself or do better for my family? Well, let me explain. The, the, the primary meaning of the word contentment is to be independent of one's circumstances. To be independent of one's circumstances, it was a term that was used by Stoic philosophers in Paul's day to mean that a man did not depend on outward circumstances or his environment in order to cope or in order to be at peace. And so Paul came along and he grabbed this word and he used it to refer to an inner attitude or a mindset mindset that was not dependent on the externals to explain that a Christian should and could be at peace, could be at peace with themselves, could be at peace with the world, could be at peace with with God, no matter what their situation was. No matter what their situation might be, contentment is an emotional condition. Contentment is a feeling of trust and of joy and the fulfillment, whether you have got a lot or whether you have not got very much at all, irrespective of the situation that you're in, or how your life stacks up compared to anybody else's. And here's how Paul put it previously whenever he was writing to a group of Christians in a place called Philippi. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I live in plenty or whether I live in need or in want. You see, that, that's contentment. No matter, no matter what is going on, no matter what I've got, content. I'm at peace in here. Peace with myself. Peace with the world around me. Peace with God. But notice it's something he's learned to be. You see, contentment doesn't come easily. Contentment doesn't come naturally. You don't always get it. You don't always feel it. But if you're going to keep money in its right place as a servant rather than a master, as a resource as opposed to an object of affection, as a good thing instead of a God thing, then you need to learn it. And so few people today learn contentment. And if you go back to the text, Paul tries to help Timothy to get his head around this. And so he quickly follows up this phrase that godliness with contentment is great gain by saying a couple of other things to clarify matters. And the first thing he says in verse seven is this, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now we touched on this last week. But in terms of money and material possessions, we don't take any of it with us when we die. Here's Job's reflection on it. Naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. You see, in respect of earthly possessions, our entry and exit are identical. You don't bring anything with you. You don't take anything with you. And because we've been hardwired for forever, because we've been created for eternity, eternity has been set within the heart of every single human being. And if that is true, then it makes no sense to invest all your time and energy and focus on laying up treasure in this world. To learn contentment, you need to bear that in mind. Otherwise, you will get caught up in the here and now. You'll forget that this life is but a breath, as the psalmist says. And when you do get caught up in the here and now, money tends to dictate. Money tends to determine your mindset and your perspective. Back to something Paul Tripp has said, the love of money sits right in the middle of a lifestyle that forgets eternity. You see, to learn contentment and therefore to avoid loving money, you must not forget that there is a life still to come. You must not forget to lay up treasure in heaven. But then the apostle Paul says something very simple. So he says, listen, listen, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. You brought nothing in, you'll take nothing out. But if you have food and clothing, will be content with that now come on come on if you've got the basic necessities of life you can know this inner disposition let me say a couple of things let's start by making the point that we live in a world where not everyone has got those And therefore, we cannot sit here this morning and be content with that reality. We must play our part to eradicate abject poverty, to play our part to help the truly destitute. But for most of us, sitting in this hall this morning, we have food to eat. We have clothes to wear. We have a roof over our heads and therefore we can and we should be content, period. Even though it's hard, I I realize that it feels so unnatural in a culture that says enough is never enough. Now Paul please hear me in this. Paul is not saying that it is wrong to have more than the basic necessities of life. Paul is not teaching that everyone should therefore live on the bread line. But what he is saying is that contentment cannot and should not be dependent on having and getting more. If you have what you need as opposed to what you'd like or what you want, you can know contentment. And you can, therefore, keep money in its rightful place. I think it was Plato who said, the greatest wealth is to live content with little. The greatest wealth is to live content with little. So godliness with contentment's great gain. Let me ask you again. Are you content? Because your answer to that question will affect your attitude towards money and how you handle it. But as Paul writes on, he then kind of flips things and he comes at it from another angle. He warns about the dangers of getting this wrong, the dangers of falling in love with money. And look at verse 9 with me. It says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now notice again, it's not money. It's not being rich that's the problem per se. It's the desire for it that is an issue. It's the craving. It's the greed. It's the motivation. It's the heart involvement that needs careful attention. And so Paul points out what happens if you get caught up in that. And as someone has said, if you read this verse, it's almost like a kind of downward spiral. So first of all, you fall into temptation. You see, wanting to get rich leads you into temptation. If that is your heart's desire, if that's what motivates you, you lead yourself into temptation. I know we often pray, lead us not into temptation, but you see, if you choose to follow the desire to be rich, you lead yourself into that place. I lead myself into that place. And whenever you're in that vulnerable place, if you're not careful, you'll end up, and the spiral goes down, you'll end up ensnared. You'll end up trapped in a lifestyle that takes you in a particular direction. What direction, Timothy, does that lifestyle take you in, says Paul? Into many senseless and harmless desires. Senseless because they never bring true satisfaction. Having more always leaves you wanting more. And they're harmful because they plunge you, says Paul, into ruin and destruction. This is the downward spiral. Possibly, yes, in this life, and we've all seen, we've all witnessed our fair share of people whose lives have been ruined and destroyed by the love of money. But it goes deeper than that. This can spiritually ruin and destroy people and it has done has done in this life and for the next see look at the end of verse 10 paul says see by their desire see by this craving see this love for money as a result of it some people have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs you see this can wreck a christian's life and bring a pile of sorrow What's the pile of sorrow? Worry. Broken, fractured relationships. Regret. Debt. So it goes on. I don't know how many people you know, I know some, who once pursued God but have now started to serve another master the money master and they've lost their way. And Paul says to Timothy, I don't want you to lose your, I don't want you to become derailed, I don't want this issue, this subject, this thing to captivate your heart. And as Jesus emphasized, you you, you can't serve both. And those who try, end up in this downward spiral, tempted, trapped, wrecked love of money pushes love for God out of your heart. It's just the way it is, and it's why the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, because anything that takes the place of God in our lives, anything that dethrones God, any other God that we put in place of the one true God is wrong, and it will lead us into all kinds of mess. Paul doesn't want that to happen to his young protege. And God doesn't want us to happen to us either. And so we're reminded godliness with contentment is great gain. There, there's the antidote. That's what we need to seek. That's what we need to learn. That's what we need to discover. But it doesn't stop there, and I'm nearly done, When God's word doesn't stop there because Paul then goes on to t- tell Timothy what to do instead. You see, it's not just about, don't do that, Timothy. Don't go there, Timothy. This is also about, here, here's how to live. Here's what you need to pursue Instead. And so look at verse 11. But you, man of God, or this can also be you, Christian believer, and that's the majority of people sitting in this hall this morning, you, Christian believer, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Run away, Timothy, from the love of money, because it's a portal to all kinds of evil but run after these things instead. Run after six things. Righteousness. See, that's about conduct and character. That's about right conduct. That's about a Christ-like character. Are we running after that? Godliness. I said it earlier. Are we running after following Jesus? Walking as Christ walked? Faith are we running after trusting and depending in God, leaning in, leaning on? Are we running after love vertically, horizontally? Are we running after loving God with our entire being and loving our neighbors ourselves? Perseverance. Are we running after hanging in there, holding on, enduring, irrespective of our circumstances? Are we running after gentleness? Are we running after being kind to those around us? Well, Paul says to Timothy, that's what you want to go after. Don't go after money. Go after these six virtues. And if you do go after these six virtues, you will learn contentment. And he hasn't finished. And next week, we'll pick up and we'll discover, well, that's all well and good, but what should we actually do with our money? Because we all have it. We'll, well, Paul tells Timothy what he should actually do, but we'll look at that next week. But let me just finish with verse 12, because then Paul injects a bit of fighting talk. Fight the good fight of the faith, Timothy. You see, whatever else this means, and whatever else he goes on to say, it reminds us that this is gonna involve active participation rather than a passive stance. Th- this is a struggle. This is a struggle. I will guarantee you every single person, I know in my life this is a huge struggle. Struggle. And every single person sitting here this morning struggles with this. And if we don't actively engage, says Paul to Timothy, you'll get knocked out, you'll get knocked down. The battle for our hearts is the most important battle a Christian faces. And if we're going to ensure that money doesn't win the affection of our hearts, if it doesn't become our master, doesn't become an idol, then we need. And we need to pursue six virtues, and that knowing and that learning and that pursuing requires intentional engagement. It requires a fight. And here's my final question this morning: Are you and I up for a fight? Are we up for a fight? Recognizing that there are present and future implications depending on how we respond to that question. I'm going to finish with a song. It's a song we don't use very often. It may be familiar to some. I know it was new to some of the guys in the band. It's an old song. I lift my hands to the coming king. Many people know that song. To the great, yeah, lots of you do. It's the second half of the song, but I want us to use as a prayer. Because the second half of the song says this. And I will serve no foreign God or any other treasure. Because you're my heart's desire, God. Now I know we've talked about this recently. We don't tell lies, we just sometimes sing them. Yeah? So please think carefully before we get to that point. Where we're actually saying, God, I am not going to serve any foreign god i'm not going to serve any other treasure you're my heart's desire god spirit without measure let's stand together as we close